We have a um, uh, a wonderful. Uh, you know, I I would love to get you all to read the scripture again, but you'd probably just groan at me. But you know, I'm in preparing a message. One of the the um, one of the great things is you just get to read that section of scripture and the stuff around it again and again and again. And it's true, you know, when you get these people that come up the front and preach and say, you know, the more you read the word, the more you get out of it. And when I was younger, I thought, hmm, oh yeah, sure. You actually do every time you read it. And particularly, let me just give you a tip if you're doing your quiet times or reading the word regularly. Um, particularly if you pray just before you read. Before you read, just keep your Bible closed and pray and just say, Holy Spirit, I want to see the finger of God. I want to see your hand in what I read today. I want to hear who you are. I want to see who you are. I want it to speak to me this morning. And um, I tell you what, every time you read it, you actually get more and more out of it. And this section of Scripture is absolutely no exception. It's, uh, it's amazing. And um, it's a great way to finish our series on Romans. You know, if you've been coming here for the last few weeks, you know that we've been doing a series on the first eight chapters of Romans and we're seven down and today's number eight. And we're finishing off um, the series that we were doing on Romans today. How many of you have been here and heard at least most of them? If you haven't, you've caught up online. How many of you enjoyed them, have, have got a little bit of a new picture of, uh, of Romans and of Paul and of God and of salvation and righteousness. Yeah, it really is a, a great way to see it. Um, Romans is one of those books when, you know, preachers can sometimes avoid because it's a little bit difficult, but when you've got it and it's assigned, you, you jump in and it's deep. But it's been great. It's this wonderful picture, isn't it, the first eight chapters, of uh, a wonderful picture and a great explanation and description of the gospel of salvation that is for you and me. And that's the amazing thing. That's laid out for us in, in eight wonderful chapters as Paul lays it out. In his, you know, given his long sentences, his long language, and sometimes you're thinking, where are you heading here, Paul? But he lays out this beautiful picture. And it's been a privilege to be able to lay that out for us as a community as well. You know, and here's a bit of a speed review. I thought I'd do a speed review, you know, in just a few points, you know, where he's taken us from chapter one through to where we are now. First of all, the gospel is revealed, and the gospel is a powerful saving force. We have been made righteous. That was the first thing we understood. The second thing is, you know, how powerful is it? Well, it's enough to answer God's anger and wrath, and what needed to be. That's how powerful that gospel is. At our sin. We all need it because we're all sinful, we learned, didn't we? No one is righteous. We we understood that. But thank God for grace. And that grace we receive by faith. It's faith that saves us, not our efforts. We understood that. We we realized that in this journey that it's our faith that saves us, not our efforts, not all the good things that we've done. In fact, our efforts fail. But God doesn't even see that because he sees Jesus when he looks at us. Isn't that an amazing picture? That even he, you, know, you know that, that things went wrong this week. You know that you failed. But when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees Jesus and the finished work of the cross. And that's guaranteed if we believe in God. So Paul says, we now have peace with God. Isn't that nice to read? You know, close the Bible there. We have peace with God. Once sin reigned, E.D., but now grace reigns, S. I 
think Joel, did you lead us in that one? Once sin reigned and now grace reigns. No need to be nervous. And we need to exercise that faith muscle. You know, it's just like exercise. And uh, we heard that grace outpaces our sin. But is that a reason to keep sinning or do more sinning? That's no reason to sin more. Why? Because we aren't that person anymore. You know, we're up to, we're, we, Paul's taking us through a journey. We're recognizing that isn't who we are anymore. Why would we want to live like that? Because of all that's gone past. That you aren't that person anymore. We're new. We're risen with Christ. We're sharing that victory that we just celebrated. We're clean. So why would we put on dirty clothes just when we get out of the shower? Remember that example? That was JB's example, wasn't it? That sinful nature. Why would we put that back on? And we now have a new life we heard last week. Even though we keep tripping up and we keep doing what we don't want to do. Remember what Paul says, the things I do, I, I want to do, I don't do. But the things I don't want to do, you know, that do-do thing that Paul says. Well, he's just trying to explain that even though we keep tripping up and doing what we don't want to do, we can now walk in step with the Spirit. We've been given the Holy Spirit to walk in step with the Spirit. And he leads us to Jesus, to this, oh yeah, he reminds us, he leads us to holiness, to, to sanctification and towards life in the kingdom. What a fantastic and succinct and complete picture of the gospel that we receive, the good news of salvation for us. And now, in this last half of, that you just read and that we read together of chapter 8, Paul brings it home, doesn't he? He sums it up. Because in chapter 9, he's about to switch gears and, and he's going to go a different way. It's, all, it's really good, actually. If you want to read through, keep reading through Romans, I encourage it. But he brings home this, this message that he's been trying to give us in this last part of chapter 8, isn't it? What this all now means is that we are now in God's family. Our future is certain and restoration is in motion. God loves us and nothing can change that. Or the sermon title that I chose for today, Nothing's Going to Stop Us Now. And when I said that in the office, everyone started singing that song. I checked the, the, um, the lyrics and thought maybe I won't put them up. But Paul's trying to say, he's summing up in these three things. He's saying, so this is what it all comes to. You know, I'm bringing it home. We're in God's family. You're now in God's family. You belong. The future is certain. It's not going to change and restoration is already in motion. We're not waiting for it to happen. And God loves us and nothing is going to change that. That's Paul's full stop to this section of Scripture. So I just want to look at those things quickly. We are now in God's family. We belong. Did you, whoever saw that movie, The Blind Side? Do you remember that movie, The Blind Side? If you didn't see it, you, haven't, you, know, you need to see it so you can cry a bit. But... The blind side, you know, remember when he first comes into the family, this big guy and very wealthy family, and he slept on the couch first. Do you remember that? He slept on the couch first, and he felt a bit guilty, and he was a bit hesitant. He, he didn't really know how things worked, and he, he felt a little bit guilty about where he was. He didn't feel, like, oh, I don't really belong here. He acted a bit like a visitor, and he was thinking that it was temporary. Any moment now, this was all going to be over. Am I getting you back into the feels of the movie? You know, and she chases him anyway. And he's probably thinking, will this last and is it real? But at the end of the film, he finally calls that little boy his brother. And he finally calls the, the annoying teenager his sister. And he really finally realizes what adoption really means for him because of where he came from. 
You remember the film, don't you? Well, Paul says here that we've been adopted as sons and daughters, that you've been adopted. And this is what the good news means for us. This is where the righteousness that we didn't achieve, that Paul had talked about earlier, that was credited to us, this righteousness, this is where it brings us to. You and I are now part of the family. And Paul uses those words adoption and he uses the word heirs. You're in the will. You're an heir, which was really strong language in those days. To be an heir, um, that didn't happen easily in those days. So Paul was speaking into a context where that would have had huge impact. A strong, being an heir was a strong word in that culture. It meant a lot. It meant that there were many benefits, that you would have the benefits from all of the family's wealth and what they understand and what they know and who they are, that you would have an inheritance, that there would be privileges, and, and rights that you would have that you perhaps didn't have before. So if you were adopted as an heir, all of a sudden all this stuff would happen. Here's what Tim Keller says. I was reading an article where he talked about this, and I think I've got it up there. And this is what he said in these times. Adoption usually occurred when a wealthy adult had no heir for his estate. He would then adopt someone as an heir. It could be a child, it could be a youth, or it could be an adult. Oftentimes, he talks about it, was actually the number one uh, servant or slave that he had, or just an adult male that didn't have it. He would adopt, uh, he would be adopted. The moment adoption occurred, several things were immediately true of the new son. First, his old debts and legal obligations were paid. Second, he got a new name and he was instantly heir of all the father had. Third, his new father became instantly liable for all of his actions and debts. Think about the implications of that. When Paul says, you have been adopted. All the things that, that, that you struggle with, all the, the sin that's in our life, all the debts and the liabilities, in the adoption, the Father would take them on himself. What happened for us? Jesus took them on himself. All our liabilities, all that stood between us and God, he took upon himself. And Paul's trying to explain that with the word heirs. They would have suddenly got it. They would have thought, oh my goodness, really? That's amazing. But God is not just our Father in that sense, is He? Not just benevolent and gracious, etc. Paul uses the word Abba. He's our dad. You know, he's the one that, that and, and those words, and that, those words sort of communicated care and affection and, and ownership despite what you've done. And it can't be undone. You know, you're my daddy. And you'll always be my dad. And despite no, no matter what I do, um, you will always be. And that gives us security and intimacy and, and authority of the family and assurance. And so human fathers accept kids and they love them, don't they? Even though they mess up. Don't they, dads? You know, how many of you dads have sons that have been perfect? We love them even though, and mums, we, we love them even though they mess up. But if another child comes in your house and messes up and they keep on smashing your furniture or your windows or dinging your car or pulling the, weeds, or pulling the flowers out of your garden or whatever it is that you absolutely hate, do you love them still? Can they stay? 
No, it's please go home to your house now, isn't it? Because they're different. Other kids are different. But when it's your kid, you deal with it. And, and Paul says, you, you're, he's our daddy. You're his kid. Your father's place is your home. You're not visiting, you know, like the blind side. You're not visiting. You don't have to knock on the door. When Joel comes and Joel and Sabrina come, they don't knock on the door, ring the bell and wait for us to invite them in. They often don't even ask if they can get in the fridge. But it's home, isn't it? You can go there and you can put your feet up because it's your home. And that's the language that Paul's using here, that, that that's what it is. You've been adopted as sons and daughters. You're not visiting. You know, and sometimes we catch ourselves, but is it real? You know, in the blind side, there was that thing where he ran off for a bit because he felt guilty and he felt like he owed his old friends because now he had and, and he needed to still deal with some debts or his mother. And I can't remember what the story was there. But then he began to feel like, I don't belong. I feel a little bit out of place in this, this fancy family. But Paul says we're not attached to our old self. We don't owe anything to our old self. We don't need to fall back into fear, into uncertainty or into doubt. Any debt we had, he'd take, he took it on and it's wiped, it's clear. And last week Paul talked about, uh, Joel talked to us about walking with the Spirit, that the Spirit that we're walking with now, the Holy Spirit, leads us away from that fear and leads us into adoption. That's what Paul's talking about. You've been led. When you walk with the Spirit, you've been led into adoption. You're away from the old home, small h, to the new home, capital H. He's leading us into our new home. We're adopted into a new family. So that means we act like sons and daughters, don't we? We, we in that freedom, knowing that we're loved, but we can be confident that the locks won't be changed when we come home, we, that his mind won't change about us, that when we come home the next time that maybe, oh, well, I've changed my mind because of what you've done. We can be confident. And we act as confident sons and daughters knowing that we're loved. So we can talk to him about stuff that matters. We can talk to him about things that concern us, the, the important steps in our lives. Because when you're a son, when you're a daughter, when you're adopted, when you're an heir, it matters to the father. Everything matters. Not just which songs you sing in church or whether you did your quiet time this morning. Which job you're choosing. Which relationship partner you're choosing. What you're choosing to do with your money. What you're choosing to do with your time. The things that you struggle with. The, the sin that keeps on dragging you back in. Because he knows and cares. Because we're sons, because we're heirs, and we can speak to him in confidence about those things. And we want to love him. We want to please him. We want to make him proud. See, once we didn't belong at all, we were like that person looking in through the window on the outside and seeing this lovely family and not having a family and wanting it. Once we didn't belong, but now we do, with all the benefits, all the confidence of a son and daughter. All the confidence of an heir that everything our Father has is ours, just as it is with Jesus. As we share in Christ's death, his defeat of sin, as we celebrated that this morning, not only do we rise to a new life with him, now his home is our home as well. And we're going there. We'll be glorified by the Father, just as Jesus is. And you know, and that 
when you understand that, when we recognize that we are heirs, that we're sons and daughters, that we're adopted in, you know, we, we cease to take our identity from places that we, we shouldn't be getting it from when we walk through life. We, we look to Him and that's where our, our identity comes from. We stop looking for it in success or, or acceptance or whatever it is that we catch ourselves going to for our identity. It comes from Him because we have a loving Father. We belong to Him. It gives us confidence and we're not fearful to relate with our Father, to, to talk with Him daily. And what the world says about me doesn't have any impact, doesn't have much impact anymore because we know what our Father thinks about us and says about us. So who cares what the world says about us? We have a Father that's adopted us. We're His Son. And everything that He has is ours. And it changes where I look for my acceptance and my love, doesn't it? I look to the Father. I don't look to you or the world or some significant other or by being successful. I'm a son. I can't be any more successful than I am standing here right now. There is nothing that the world could do for me or that you could do for me that would make me any more successful. But do you believe that? Because that's what an heir is, that you're part of the family. And all that Paul's been saying in these seven or eight chapters is telling us that. That's what it means. That whole language righteousness credited to you and all what it means is you belong you've been adopted as a son and everything that jesus has and is we do the same 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 we're not just a little bit under jesus he's going to get a better bedroom you know how that helps it works in a house the oldest gets the best bedroom isn't that right joel yeah <laughs> not so sure we get what he has. Isn't that an amazing truth? But wait, it doesn't always feel like that, does it? Because we end up with questions and doubts. Sometimes, is this true? And what if it all falls apart? And, you know, we've read through Romans and Joel and Andrew have preached through it. And what if it... Well, Paul kind of acknowledges that a little bit in our next section, our next point. He, didn't, he talks about, but our future is certain. Restoration is set in motion and he, he helps us see that, you know, even though there is suffering, even though we look around and we look at ourselves and, and when I look at myself sometimes, I don't look so royal or glorified. I don't know if you look in the mirror, if you always see glory. <laughs> don't put your hand up if you do. I don't want to know. You know, but when we look around, we look at ourselves, we don't always look so royal or, or glorified and life isn't always working the way it should for a son of, or daughter of the living God. And sometimes that's self-inflicted, isn't it? Paul wants us to know that Jesus' work on the cross, his victory over sin, has set in motion a process of restoration. Sin damaged and broke everything. Creation itself is broken. You know, Paul says that the creation is groaning under sin. And this morning when we were praying at early morning prayer and just beforehand, I'm thinking, you know, the, another word for that is creation is aching with sin. And we start praying for the gun massacres in the United States. We start praying for the, the trouble that's happening in our nation, the, the family that suffered on, on the Black Spur on, on Friday, um, the stuff that's happening in your life, the pain we see around us. And that's what Paul's talking about, that creation is 
aching and groaning under the burden of sin. Things are not right yet, are they? And Paul acknowledges that. But he says, restoration is coming. It's happening right now. Suffering is oh so real in the world in our lives, but it's all going to change. The gospel, the good news, is a message of restoration that God is bringing about restoration of everything. In Revelations, he says, Behold, I am making some things new, doesn't he? No, he doesn't. Who, who? All things new. Behold, I'm making all things new. And the last time I looked, us as humans wasn't all. We're just some of creation. He's making all things new. God's ultimate plan is not to scrap the earth and throw it into the bin like a crumpled piece of paper. He is renewing it and he will renew it. His plan is for the earth, this earth, to be covered with his glory, his word says, and us and our lives with it. How cool is that? That's what he's doing. The groanings of the earth will cease as with ours. And Paul calls that hope. And that's what he talks about here, doesn't he? He calls it hope. Paul says that although the groaning and suffering exists, we can have hope. Perhaps we can't see it, or we can't even imagine it fully, but we know that God is trustworthy. And God said restoration is happening and it's coming. It's a promise, and that's where our hope is. That it's happened, respiration has happened, it's happening, and it will happen. It's that kind of now but not yet feeling, isn't it? That that's what God is doing. You know, and when I was, um, you know, hope, when I think of hope, hope is, is when we look forward um, to, what we're, to, to being rid of what we're sick of. You know, we we're sick of the suffering in the world, and, and Paul says we look forward with hope. To what God is doing, and when I think of that, when I I think of an example, when when I was um, going to school as a kid, um, my um, father would be working all day, and my mother was vision impaired; she couldn't see, so she didn't have a license, which was probably a good thing. Anyway, so we had to walk to school, um, and with the primary school was maybe four k, so it wasn't too bad, but the high school was kind of double that distance, and so we didn't have bikes as kids. But when you turned 13, the Christmas that you turned 13 in that year, you were going to get a bike. And we always knew that a few months before, my dad had been to the auctions and he would buy a, a second-hand bike and it was in the shed and he would fix it up, put new tyres on it, a new bell. Bell was most important when you were a kid. Um, and, it, you know, fix the chain, bit of paint on there. So we weren't allowed to go in the shed and have a look at it because it was going to be a surprise. But we knew it was coming. You know, I knew that I was getting a bike on the Christmas after I turned 13 because I'd be going to high school next year. I knew it because it was a thing in our family. And I was sick of walking and that was hope. I couldn't wait for that bike. I didn't have it yet. I still had to walk the last days to school, but I knew it was coming. I knew that my dad was doing it. It's kind of not a really great analogy, but kind of like that. We're sick of what we're seeing in the world around us, but we know that our dad is doing it. And that something's coming that's going to make it better. And again, this is where when Joel was talking about walking in the Spirit, it's so important. Life in the Spirit is so important because Paul says in verse 26, and I wanted to put that one on the slide for us, I think. Likewise, he's walking in the Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
For we don't know what we need to pray for as we we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Have you ever been in a situation where you just feel like I need to pray, but I don't know how to pray? I don't know what to say. I, I, I don't know the right thing to ask God. I don't, know right, the right, I don't even know how to explain how I'm feeling or the right language to use. The Holy Spirit groans for us, intercedes for us. The life in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, as we were challenged last week, is really important. Even though it's all done, we still need to walk in the Spirit. When it gets tough, when hope seems distant, when sin and failings... They can fade our picture of our future. They can dull our certainty. The Holy Spirit steps in, into the gap, intercedes for us. Because restoration is coming. Paul says when Christ called us, when he justified us, he always intended to glorify us, to be with him like him home. Do you remember, and another thing came up in my mind this week when I was thinking about that, you know, the now and not yet. Everything's not good yet. How many of you watched the, the best exotic marigold hotel? How many remember the line in there where the little, the little Indian guy, Dev Patel, I think it was, he says to the lady, because she says, it's all not good. And he said, it'll all be all right in the end. If it's not all right, then it's not the end yet. How true is that for us? It's all going to be all right now. Our Father's working. Restoration's happening. And it's not all right yet, but it also isn't the end yet, is it? Because Christ has already done what is necessary. He's already achieved our salvation. We can look forward with hope. And this gives us confidence. It gives us a new perspective. We might get defeatist or feel like it's all lost. It's not. And we can look at our world and think, where is it going? And we can look at Christians being marginalized and less of our voice being heard. And even if it is heard, it's ridiculed. And we think it's all gone to pot. It's all lost. It's not. He's got the whole world in his hand. He always has. He has it now and he always will. There is no doubt. And I'm in his hand with it. One day when Christ returns, we will stand with our Savior, see his dominion over a new heaven and a new earth. Just as sin and our inheritance of it affected the entire created order, Christ's atoning work, and when we receive it and believe it, will restore the entire created order. So that means we can invest our life into things that matter. Things that have eternal significance, that we know are important. Into people, into sharing the word, into preparing for that reward ourselves. You know, those earthly rewards are things that we, we chase in life, that we spend so much time and so much money trying to, and so much effort trying to do. They come into perspective, don't they? Because they're not as important. Because we know where we're going. And, it, affects, and it, it helps us when we approach our world thinking it's all going bad because we know that God's got this. So Paul has been summarizing in those two points. He says, we're now part of the family. We have our full rights and we're heirs. It's all done. And he says, and the future is sure. We will be glorified. He's restoring everything that sin has damaged, including us, because sin has damaged us as well. And now he crowns it off with these final verses, you know, and he, in uh, verse 31 on, God loves us 
and nothing can change. Nothing's going to stop us now. So Paul's saying, if this is all true, all that I've been saying, and, and even just what I've been saying here, and it is, and if God is who he said he is, and if God has done what he said he's done, then who or what could ever come against or undo that? Paul says, if that God, our Father, is for us, then who could possibly be against us? You know, finally that argument of the kids in the schoolyard saying, my dad is bigger than your dad, is finally true. In it. What could possibly be against us? If he's going to call us his own children and he's bringing us home, won't he give us all that we need to stand against opposition, Paul says. Paul says he will give us all things. Who or what could possibly drag us back into guilt and condemnation and how dare they anyway? They have no right. If he says we're innocent, then accusations, then fear and guilt no longer have any power because it's what he says that matters. My dad says I'm okay. And that matters. In fact, God doesn't even hear those accusations. God doesn't even hear them because Christ is there interceding for us, reminding God that we are righteous because of him. It's like Jesus is saying, that's my brother, your son. That's my sister, your daughter. So then what could separate us from God now? Nothing. What about all the suffering and sin that we still experience? All of our failings and missteps? Nope. What about all the evil in the world, the wickedness we see, the, the evil characters, the death and destruction? Nope. What about Satan's power? You know, we know about that. The demons go, you know, Satan's power and his attacks and his temptations and, and all that he does. Nope. What about death itself? Nope. Nothing. There is now nothing that can separate us from God's love. Nothing more powerful than the power of Christ over death. And here's the good news. I love this bit. We are not just conquerors over these things. Paul says that we are more than conquerors. We've not just won against the enemy. We've overwhelmed him. There's no coming back for him. He can't snatch us back or pull us back. He can't change our righteous state. It's all done. We're not just conquerors. We're more than conquerors. There is no recourse for the enemy. There is no way he can reach in and get us back. You know, and some, that's really important to understand because sometimes in my life I think, Yes, when we celebrate Lord's Supper or yes, when I receive this message and I, and I think that's great. But all the time I'm, I'm waiting for the enemy to undo it, to grab me back and to drag me back into the sin and the things that were part of my life before. All the time I'm worried that the enemy has the power to do that and Paul says he doesn't. He doesn't. We're more than conquerors. He can't. We've overwhelmed him. God doesn't lie. He keeps his promises. He says those who are justified are also glorified. In verse 30, 
He says it, doesn't he? Those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Not because we're faithful, but because he is faithful. And notice that Paul puts that verb in the past tense, the ED. Not will be glorified or glorified. Glorified. It's done. In God's economy, it's done. In our life, it's done. It's as good as done. So guys, before Paul changes gears into Romans 9 and, and goes on, he summarizes it like this for us, doesn't he? We belong, adopted, heirs, you're part of the family, you're in. Your future is a sure thing. You know where you're going, restoration is happening, we're going to be with our Father in heaven. It isn't always going to be like this because it's not the end yet. And God loves us and nothing can change that. Nothing's going to stop us now. And he's got a list there. And you could add personal things to your list. There's a pretty comprehensive list he's got in there. But you could add things. But nothing can stop it. So, you know, for us that means that you can't always see it, but God is working. Sometimes in practical ways. Paul encourages us to walk with the Spirit that we need his help. And when doubts come, we can remember the truth. And sometimes you need others to do that. And that's why the body is so important and our life groups and church and, and friends that you can talk with, so important. So where do I get that from when I'm weak? He's placed us in the body. He's given us the body, the people around us. How many of you never, ever have doubts? How many of you never, ever struggle? How many of you never, ever need anyone else to encourage you or to remind you of the truth? I thought so. That's why you're in the body. That's why you need the body. You know what? We always try to do it, go it alone, don't we? We do that in action. Oh, I don't need to go to that. This. Oh, I don't want to do this. Oh, I don't want to be part of this. Oh, I don't need to be part of this. We do. We need to. You know, there was another group that had struggles and that kind of forgot because vision leaks. You know, ideas leak. We, don't, we need to be topped up every now and then by people around us. There was another group that forgot. They were having trouble with living in the truth because they were in a, in a world or in a situation that was challenging them. We've preached on it before in the Hebrews. You and I are not pioneers in this. There's an encouragement. And they were reminded by these words in Hebrews. And I've got, I wanted to put it up as a reading. And I want us to have a look at Hebrews and just have a look on the screen if you like. Um, and um, it's almost as if when you read these words, it's almost as if, you know, people wonder whether who wrote Hebrews. Was it Paul? Was it Apollos? Was it someone else? You'd almost think it was either Paul or someone very close to his ideas. Let's read these encouraging words in Hebrews chapter 10. And verse uh, 14, I think it is from. Yes, it is. Let me find it here. I'll read it in my version here. Here we go. For by a single offering, and this is, remember, when we read this, think this is a group of people like you and I who probably have understood before this message of Romans but need to be reminded of it. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, 
For after saying, this is a covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. That's about Paul's message again, just in other words. Therefore, so, listen up, brothers and sisters. Since we have confidence, you have confidence now to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Isn't that amazing? Our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast, hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, because he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, because some of us sometimes forget and need encouragement. Not neglecting to meet together as a habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see that restoration, that day coming. Another wonderful, wonderful summary of what Paul's saying. I remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. How good is it? How good has this series been in Romans? Praise God that he's done and he's doing what we absolutely couldn't do ourselves. But wish we could and try to. What a relief, what a joy and what a release. Isn't that amazing? Instead of praying with you, I'm going to get you to pray with each other. And what I want you to do is a little, a little bit different today. I want you to, if you can still see that, that Bible that you read with that person, or those persons, I want you to, verses 37 to 39, I want you to read these, this verse to each other. So that means you're going to do it twice. So you're going to, if I'm going to use um, Sabrina and Joel, she's going to read it to him, he's going to read it. But I want you to insert that other person's name. Know in all these things, Joel, you're more than a conqueror through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you, Joel, from the love of Christ in Jesus our Lord. Read that to each other like that and then pray over each other and pray for each other to finish. Towards the end of the prayer, the music team is going to come up and lead us in a song to finish off this morning. Would you do that together?